right, so that is a long and um, in places amusing amusing lesson, but um, but there is something for it in us. And I think one of the problems that we have in, in reading this lesson is we think to ourselves, wait a minute, didn't Jesus say don't put the Lord to the test? And he did. In, in two of the gospel accounts, Jesus tells the devil, um, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So, so uh, we know what we shouldn't learn from this lesson, which is whenever you want to test, test the Lord. But um, I think that there is a lesson here relating to this test that... Um, or contest, whatever you want to call it, um, that we can actually learn from, and it will actually be helpful to us in growing our own faith. So, so there is a misunderstanding. If we think of this as as a story about what we're supposed to do, um, then then we will say, "Well, wait a minute. I guess I can't do that anymore because Jesus said no." Now, now uh, Elijah knew that same commandment. It's not from the New Testament. It's actually from the Hebrew Scriptures. And Elijah would have known it was in uh, Deuteronomy and, and Exodus. The, the people put the Lord to the test um, when they grumbled about the water at Massah. So this is an old story. Elijah would have known it too. And yet he, ha- he proposes this contest. So we are, we're looking at this, and, and so we have to figure out, okay, well, what is it we should learn from it? And so um, it is a, a, a reading of a contest, a title fight, um, a... Uh, a celestial bake-off, if you will, um, uh, and and um, the the question for us is how can we avoid um, avoid trusting the wrong thing? How can we avoid trusting the wrong thing and actually increase our faith in the right thing? So, so um, our conversation uh, begins in um, uh, uh, whoop too soon. So our conversation uh, begins in chapter 18, but we've been looking at this for the last couple of weeks, and we've seen the, the, the backdrop for this story is that Elijah came to King Ahab because Ahab had um, allowed the, the worship of Baal. So Baal was a foreign god from up in the, the Tyre and Sidon region, modern-day Lebanon. And um, uh, when, when, uh, when Ahab married into the royal family of Tyre, uh, he started having their God at, in, in Israel as well. And so Ahab goes, I mean, Elijah goes to him and says, all right, God's not going to put up with that. There won't be any rain until I say so. And then he hides for three years. And Ahab's looking all over trying to find him because it, there is a drought. And so finally, Elijah emerges. He goes to Obadiah and he says, I'm going to, um, I'm going to talk to Ahab. And, uh, Obadiah says, well, I don't even like that idea for me. I mean, Ahab might be kill me. Forget what he's going to do to you. And so, so uh, Elijah nevertheless says, "Okay, but I'm, I promise you, I'm going to see to see um, Ahab." And Ahab, when he hears this from Elijah, we we find out um, what in verse uh, uh, sixteen he says, "Obadiah went to tell to tell Ahab." And Ahab doesn't even wait for Elijah to show up. He immediately goes and finds Elijah, and he says. So it's you, the troubler of Israel. So in other words, you know, I'm sinking in the poles and I need somebody to pin this on and you're the one. And Elijah says, no, it's not me. You're the one who's been causing the trouble. The reason you've been causing the trouble is because you invited these Baals into um, Israel. So you've, you've, um, you've been supporting the work of the Baals. So, so um, he returns this little insult or a challenge but then he adds on to it. He says, Now send a message and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel. 
gather the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Now, we don't hear anything else about the prophets of Asherah, so maybe they had a premonition this would be a bad idea. But but the prophets of Baal come, and Ahab sends this message to all the people uh, of Israel. They gather the prophets at Mount Carmel, and um, Elijah approaches the people, and he says this. He says, how long will you hobble back and forth between two opinions? So hobble back and forth. The idea is, you know, if you've ever hurt your, your leg, um, then you, you can't put your weight on it, right? So you kind of limp along like this. So he's saying you're hobbling. You're not putting your weight on anything. So, you know, you think, well, maybe, you know, I don't know, the king brought this new bail in. I guess that's what we're supposed to do now. But it's not the, the God your ancestors worshiped, so you're not sure, should I, should I do this? And at the same time, you're saying, well, you know, what about the God our ancestors worshiped? You know, why would this be happening if he was still in charge? Maybe I can't lean on him either. And so uh, Elijah says, quit hobbling, get off the fence, make a decision, start leaning your life on something, lean your life on a God, pick one. And this is, it's hard for me to, to, I, I don't know if I can overestimate how important is this is a central, this is a pivotal event in world history. And the reason for that is this is 2,800 years ago. So the, the, the Greek philosophers, Plato and Aristotle, they're five centuries in the future. Okay. People don't understand anything about the, how, how the world works. I mean, there are some people who, who actually figure some stuff out, but they're very few. And so, you know, somebody figures out if you pile rocks up high, you get a pyramid, right? But I mean, there's not a lot of science in that. And so they, they figure out that there, there's a few things that people understand about the world, but mostly the world is a mystery. There's no telling why things happen. And all people have got is, is folk, folk wisdom and traditions that are handed down to them. That's, that's all they've got. And, and they're too busy eking out a living to, to go experiment and find out, you know, what is really causing, you know, birds to fly or whatever it is. So, so there is no idea of, of figuring things out as a, as a broad cultural concept. There are some people who discover by whatever process they, they discover some things. Most people have no idea that you can figure things out. The way you know things is they're handed down to you. And Elijah is saying, no. There's going to be an experiment. Watch closely and then decide for yourself. This is revolutionary. It's really where we get the scientific method. And and um, it, it basically comes out of here, the idea that the world is predictable and you can learn things about it. You, not not some philosopher or somebody who comes along once every three generations, but you can learn things about the world that are predictable because that's the way God made it. So, So he says this, and... He proposes this contest not because he wants to test God. He proposes the contest because he trusts God completely. Elijah has absolute faith in God, and he is putting Baal to the test. He's, he's got no doubt that God will come through. If the, if, the, if the situation were reversed, if he was challenged by the prophets of Baal, I don't know if that would be testing the Lord or not. Um, but it's not the way it's written. He's the one proposing the test, and he knows that God will come through. So, so he's saying, you, you Israelites, watch what happens. And then we get this whole, um, we get this whole, uh, uh, contest up there on Mount Carmel. So, 
um, he says, send the message, and everybody gathers, and he asks, how long are you going to hobble? And um, he says, make a decision. Look at the results. See what happened, and then judge for yourself. Quit hobbling. Follow God or follow Baal. Now, the prophets of Baal, he lets them go first. He lets them pick the bull so that he's basically making sure that none of the obvious excuses are going to be available to them because he has confidence in what's going to happen. He says, you know, I know what's going to happen. I'll give you all the advantages. You get the home field advantage. You get everything else. You kick first, the whole thing, right? And so they do, and they prepare the sacrifice, but he says, don't start the fire. And now ask Baal to give you fire. And so they start doing that, 450 of them shouting. And he says, around noon, he says, no, shout louder. So you can imagine how much noise they're making. Um, but no response from Baal. Baal doesn't give any response. And so he starts mocking them. It says, he says, shout louder. Certainly he's a god. Um, perhaps he's lost in thought. And um, all the all the uh, the Bibles I looked at, they, they have, or I think all but two, had a... Um, a little footnote there for lost in thought. It meant he's he's in his thinking room, right? <laughs> and so he's proposing that um, that uh, that this God Baal is is unreliable. You can't you can't ask him for anything because he won't do it, right? He's lost in thought. He's wandering. He's traveling somewhere. Baal is a Phoenician god, right? The Phoenicians were famous. Maybe he's at the far end of the Mediterranean Sea. And when he gets back in two years, then you can, you know, you can ask him for something, but right not, uh, but not right now. So your best hope is that he's asleep and you better shout louder to wake him up. So, so they shout louder. They start cutting themselves. They, they do this hopping dance around the fire and they do all these things, um, trying to, to get Baal to act, but of course Baal never does act because Baal is a false god. And then the story continues. So now it's his turn. He puts the word in or he puts the wood in order. First he invites the people close. He says, "Come over here. I want you all to see what's going on." You know, you know, nothing nothing up my sleeve, you know. He's he's saying, you know, I know what you're going to do because you're going to have to make some mental adjustments, and instead of that, you'll try and think of reasons why you don't. So he says, come closer, I want you to see this. And then he uh, puts the wood in, uh, um, in order, he, uh, he re- rebuilds the altar, he puts the word of wood on it, butchers the bull, and then he says, but that would be too easy. It's almost like an um, uh, infomercial, you know, but, you know, <laughs> thousands have been sold, but wait, there's more. He says, tell you what, it's still too easy, pour water all over the wood, inundate the wood with water, and so so they do. They pour twelve jugs of water on it, so that the water's actually run out and into this little trench that's around the the sacrifice. And so then, when you know every disadvantage has been given uh, to to Team God, he prays, and um, the Lord's fire falls. So it consumes the sacrifice, it consumes the wood, the stones, and the dust. It completely obliterates the sacrifice. And um, including the water in the trench, so so that's that's the little story, and and, and um, that's the part I want to look at. Um, but I need to kind of point out, you know, you all heard the part about massacring 450 prophets. So I'm just going to say this. I'm not going to try to defend it. Um, I'm going to note it and say, you know, if that really bothers you, I'll have a um, ask me anything someday, and you can ask me about that. 
Um, what, what I would just say is it's, it's, it's a shame it's there in some ways because, not just because it's a problem for us to, to, um, to think about, but, um, but it's been used so often throughout history by people who say, you know, I have, I have scriptural authority. I can massacre my enemies. I can massacre the people that I've triumphed over because I've got this example to point to. And so there's, there's something there. And, um, if you're wondering what is the lesson here, I'm going to tell you, in light of the New Testament, beyond what the Old Testament says, but in light of the New Testament, we are precluded from massacring the priests of Baal. So don't even think that that's the lesson. So, um, and, and I, I just want to acknowledge that is, that is a terrible thing. And, you know, if you close your eyes and imagine, you know, 450 people put to the sword, it's, it's a terrible thing. But, you know, take that up with Elijah, right? Because I want to focus on, I want to focus on the lesson for us from the contest itself, not what happens after the contest. And the, that's really the position we're in. We're not Elijah, right? We're not the priests of Baal. We're not the people having the contest. We're Israel watching and seeing and being invited to judge what is the lesson here. So, so what is the lesson? Well, the lesson is that, is that we should look at it and judge for ourselves. Look at the results. Find out if it's, if it's worthy. Find out if it's something you can put your weight on. Don't hobble around. So, so, and, and the reason this is important is everybody worships something. Even if you're not a Christian. Even if you're not a Christian, you worship something. And the reason for that is worship is, is, it has to do with the idea of worth. It's, it's related to the word worth. It originally was worthship, but that's hard to say. So, so worship is the thing that has value. So take all the things you value and, you know, mentally just arrange all the things that you value. And something is at the top, right? Something is at the top of that list. And, you know, for some of us, you know, you know, in my case, you know, my good looks or, or, you know, you may have, you know, your education or your, your, um, your job, your, your bank account. We all have things that we say, that's what's most important to me. And, and that thing is what I'm leaning on to, to get through my life. That is the thing that I worship, not in the sense of I go to a church of, you know, Luke's good looks, but it's what I really count on. It's the thing that I'm counting on most to get me through life. That's what we worship, the thing that we worship. And so, so the problem is a lot of the things we worship are false gods. A lot of the things we worship are not going to see us through, right? If I go to Hollywood and start looking for jobs, I'm probably going to find out that I had misplaced hope in my good looks, right? You know, I, I have a mirror too, right? Um, so, so we're going to find out that, that some of the things that I've trusted in aren't trustworthy, that they won't bear the weight. And what Elijah is inviting Israel to do is to look at something and say, does that bear the weight? If not, don't trust it. Don't lean on it. Don't bet your life on that thing. So, the question is, can I trust it? And if I can't, then discard it. And nobody likes that. Nobody likes having to reor, you know, to, to, to rearrange that, that value hierarchy. You know, I always thought it was this way, and now I've learned I really can't trust that thing. That, you know, I can't, you know, I, I always thought that as long as I worked hard, I would succeed at my company. And then I got the pink slip, and I realized, 
oh, I've been worshiping. I've been assigning too much value to that thing, and I need to move it somewhere else in the hierarchy. It's good to have a job, but not not as the most important thing. So I need to rearrange my hierarchy. Nobody likes rearranging their value hierarchy. But if we do it, if we look at the results and then lean on things, then we'll have the opportunity to do that. And it's not fun, but then we'll know actually what in the world can be leaned on. So if you go to Paris, I don't know if you can actually get in there, but there is in Paris a vault, and inside the vault is the standard kilogram. So it is it is the standard for what a kilogram is. So a kilogram is a thousand grams and it's about 2.2 pounds. And it's the standard unit of mass since the French Revolution and they changed all their measurements. They've had kilograms and the problem with a kilogram is how much is one? You need a standard, right? And so what happened is they, they created one and they stored in like a vacuum jar and all this other stuff. But but it's the standard, or it was until 2019, it was the standard kilogram. And all the other kilograms in the world are measured against that. So so our National Bureau of Weights and Measures, they went over to France and they made an exact copy as close as they possibly could. They compared it and said, okay, that's going to be our copy. And all the other countries did that. So that's the, you know, the, the master was then used as a template for all the others. And then those, in turn, were used as templates for others. So the idea is there's the master kilogram. and Everything else is judged according to that. So with that picture in your mind, the um, Greek philosopher Plato, five centuries after this this story, he, he said, imagine the same thing for good, okay? The, 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 the perfectly good thing, right? You know... My mom was good, but she wasn't perfectly good. So imagine something that's better than than that. And in fact, he said, better than anything in the world. He said, imagine something that exists on the plane of the ideal, the 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 the, the plane uh, uh, where there's forms and ideal things, and not down here on earth where things rust and rot and things like that. He says, imagine that perfectly good thing, that standard kilogram for good. Okay, he said, he called that the form of the good, the template that all the good things in this world are copies of. They're, they're shadows of. They, they are measured up against that good thing that is in the realm of the ideal. So that was his idea, and you know, people did with it what they wanted to, but, but in the Middle Ages, the Christian theologian Thomas Aquinas, he said, he said, that that top thing, that that highest good, is is the um, is is the standard that we measure things against. He said that is God. That God is the thing that we measure all the other goods against. And so, because of that, he said, if you discard what is not good, what is not worthy, what is not valuable, you are moving closer to God. Even if you don't know who God is, even if you've never heard a thing about God, if you get rid of the things that are false, you inevitably are moving closer to God. So he said this is actually a way you can you can understand, you can approach God simply by getting rid of the things that are false. Because your 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 picture, your value um, is more accurate now. It's a better copy of the 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 perfect good that is God. So 
So that is the reason, you know, besides just practically, no one wants to fall down because they were leaning on the wrong thing. There's a, there's a spiritual reason for this because Thomas knew that God was not just a thing up in space, some, you know, out in the, some other dimension. He knew God was a person who actually wanted to be found. And so he said, as we, as we move toward God, God approaches us, that, that God closes the gap. And so if we discard the things in our lives that are not trustworthy, we're actually moving closer to God and God is moving closer to us. So think through your life. What is really at the top of your value hierarchy? You know, what is it you value most? What is it you worship? What is that thing that has the most worth to you? And then test it. Lean on it. Find out. Quit hobbling. If it's good, then it's moving toward God. If it's bad, it's not. Discard it and move on. That's that's what Elijah is inviting the people of Israel to do. To say, I'm going to find out once and for all that Baal is not trustworthy. And then I will never have to be tempted to lean on Baal. I still haven't arrived at God, but I'm closer. I understand a little bit more about the way the world works. And that's that's what Elijah is inviting us to do, to actually test our theories, to understand what it is that that we can lean on, and then move closer to God because of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... We often trust the wrong things, and sometimes we even suspect they're the wrong things, and so we don't lean on them. Help us to have the courage to to lean on things, knowing that if they hold up, they are pointers to you. And if they fall down, then we now know better where you are not. And so we know better where you are. Help us, Lord, to have the courage to do what the people of Israel did, to come to the, the place where we can see what is, what is reliable and what is not. And then, Lord, to rearrange our values so that what is truly worthy is at the top of our list of values. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen.